I came across this uh, this quote the other day, <clears throat> and uh, and the question is: Would you hire yourself for a job? Let's say if you were if you were an employer trying to hire an efficient, honest, competent person, would you hire yourself? And uh, would you hire yourself at the salary you currently earn? Or if you had to live with someone just like yourself for the rest of your life, would you look forward to it as a wonderful experience or some sort of severe punishment? What kind of person is God looking for? What kind of person is God looking uh, to, to rely upon? To reveal his character to this world. Someone said that God is not looking for an incredible person. Sometimes that was, that's what we think, right? If I become just a little, a little more, if I become just a little higher than just average, I'll be that kind of incredible person. And this person is saying, no, God is not looking for incredible people. He's looking for credible people. And what is a credible person? What is a credible person? Well, we'll get there. But here in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, in the text that was read this morning, Paul starts in verse 1 and 2 with, uh, with a summary, uh, like the salvation, the plan of salvation in a nutshell. And he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into grace, uh, into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we've accepted Christ. We believe in Him. We've made a declaration that we believe Him and we accept Him as our Savior. And so we are covered by His grace. We are cleansed by His blood. We are justified by His blood. We are saved by grace. And it's all because God has decided to step forward and not leave us unattended. In spite of our sins, He has come forward and offered us freely, freely salvation. Now, when you read uh, uh, forward... And you read verses 3 to 5, you see that all that came before in verses 1 and 2 is the workings of God. But now in verses 3, 4 and 5, it talks about some things that we as Christians go through. Some decisions we have to make and some things we inevitably go through. And it's all part of the Christian journey. And then Paul says that in verses 3 to 5, he says that not only that... Not only we rejoice in the glory of God, but also we rejoice in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Some Bible versions say experience. Other versions say proven character as the result of perseverance. And then character produces hope. Now, hope will not disappoint you because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so, 
throughout all of that, we come to find hope. Hope that's not dependent on any human being. Hope that is not dependent on any decision that the government will make. Hope that is not dependent on how the economy will go next year or this year. But a hope that is based on the building of our character, which comes after experience and tribulation and perseverance and all of that. But at the center of this, at the very core, you see that there is this word that is the one we're going to be focusing more this morning, which is character. And so you go through tribulations and suffering, but you rejoice in that. And that uh, enables you to, to gain perseverance or endurance. And through endurance, you will come to build a character. So what is character then? Character. I, I actually looked it up in the dictionary, right? The one will condemn me, condemn me for doing that, right? I think it's a, a good place to go to find word definitions. So the dictionary says, well, other than uh, there are some other meanings, like it could be a character, it could be like a printed letter or symbol, of course. It could be a person in a play or in a movie. It could be a part that is played by an actor. But as far as human behavior is concerned, character are the, is the, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Character is the distinctive nature of something, according to the Oxford Dictionary. Character is the quality of being individual, typically in an interesting or unusual way. Character is the strength and originality in a person's nature. And I like this because the Bible does indicate that character is Strength is power. Character, according to the dictionary still, could be a person's good reputation. And so all of this means that character is way more than just behavior. is way more than just actions. Character is something that comes from within. There is a, a, an English theologian. His name is uh, Nicholas Right or anti-right. That's probably how he's more known. And this theologian, he writes in the book that's called After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters. That's the title of the book. After you believe, after you have declared your allegiance to Christ, why does Christian character matter? And so in this book, he talks that he received uh, an email from a friend. And in this email, the friend is pondering over several uh, practical issues of life and how Christians should deal with that. And then this friend in this email to N.T. Wright says that, well, I believe that many Christians have it very clear that at some point, if you want to, if you want to make a commitment to Christ, you have to declare your faith in Him. You have to declare that you accept Him. And then many Christians do that and they emphasize that and that's an important step. And they also point forward to the day when our hopes will be consummated. When Jesus will come and we'll live with him forever. And so it's absolutely clear that the decision you have to make now and the hope you have in the future. And then this friend continues to write in the email and he says that it is as though you are standing here on the bank of a river. It is a very deep and wide river. And you're standing here on this bank and you're looking to the further bank. And here it is where you declare your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And there on the further bank is the final reward that you are looking forward to. But the river is deep and wide and you don't quite know what to do about it. Am I supposed to just stay here and wait? Am I supposed to maybe uh, wait until I am carried and put on the other side? Am I supposed to try and go venture swimming all across the river to get to the other bank? Christians sometimes, maybe there are Christians who don't even question that, don't even have that, that problem. But many Christians are still uh, pondering about that and they don't have a clear vision of what happens in the meantime. And so it's obvious that if you were to venture swimming across the river, you wouldn't be able to make it on your own. It is clear and so you can't expect to get there relying on your own abilities. But some people will say, well, you can't just declare that you believe in Christ and wait here. You have to do something. But other people will say, no, you have, not, you have not to do anything because salvation is by grace through faith. You have to trust in Jesus and He will do everything for you. And so sometimes maybe one day you wake up thinking, Lord, today I need to make some decisions and I need to change things in my life. And there is this and that and that that I need to do. But the next day you may wake up and say, no, this is, this is about behavioral change. It is, it is all from Jesus. And so where do we stand on that? Well, like I said, it's obvious that you were not able to cross the river on your own. And so I would suggest, as this book suggests, as this theologian suggests, and I think it's a good idea, that you need actually a bridge. A bridge to take you from this bank of the river to the other one where the reward is. And this bridge is built upon many different things. You may, call, you may give different names. You may give names to different ingredients that are necessary in the Christian journey. But I would suggest that the most obvious name for this bridge is exactly character. That you have to build a character. You have to develop a character as you walk with the Lord so that you can get to the other side safe and sound. And so character is something that is not, is not purely behavioral because it manifests itself in behavior, but it's something that comes from within. Character is not your actions. Your actions may reflect what your character is, but your character is something that you have in yourself. And so, the river of life is deep, right? It is as deep as the valleys of darkness that you have to go through. And so, you need this bridge to take you to the other side. And the Apostle Paul makes clear that there are a few steps. He may not have mentioned all of them, but he says that we have to go through suffering. We have to go through persecution. We have to develop a character. And through it all, we'll be able to get on to the other side. Now, I gave you a definition from the dictionary. What does the Bible say about character? What is the biblical definition of character? Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Job chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible also identifies character as this, these distinctive moral and mental qualities of an individual. So it's something by, by which uh, an individual can be recognized, can be identified. In Job chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible describes 
Job, the Bible describes Job as someone who was blameless and upright. Someone who feared God and turned away from evil. And so you see, even though it says he turned away from evil, and it may look like as purely an action that's being described, Job would turn away from evil because he was blameless, he was upright, and that comes from within. And so if anyone would ask, what is Job like? What can you say about Job? Everybody would say, and even us today as we read the Bible, we say, well, Job was a man who was upright, he was blameless. There was nothing, uh, nothing negative that could be said about his character. Now, did he make mistakes? Yes. Did he, he, he commit any sins? Yes, many. But his character was upright. Now, there is, the word character is not here in this text in Job 1.1, but it's clearly talking about what Job was inside. There is another text I'd like to call your attention to, and that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter, chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus was having a, a conversation. Actually, Jesus was being confronted by a group of people. And, and they were saying, well, you claim to know Abraham, but we are sons of Abraham. And Jesus says to them, if you were children of Abraham, then you would be children of God, and you would believe me. But what you're saying here clearly proves that you are not children of God, you are rather children of the devil. And then in verse 44, Jesus go on to say, well, the devil uh, was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now, some Bibles, some Bible versions have uh, 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 contributed a, a word that was not there in the Hebrew. When, when the text says here, he speaks from his own, some Bibles will say from his own nature, from his own resources, from his own character, right? Because it seems to be implied. But the text is saying that he's speaking from his own, from what he is inside. We want to make sure that what we have inside is, is like Jesus Christ. What we have inside is the very character of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in the previous book of the Bible, in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 45. Luke 6, 45. The Bible says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what? Good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what? Evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Character, having a character that will be like the character of Jesus Christ. Developing a character that will help you make the right decisions in life. I heard this from a, from a friend, and, and this is a, a faithful church member. And he was actually appalled by the situation, but uh, the, the manufacturer of his vehicle uh, issued a recall on a certain issue of the car, right? And so the recall is out, and uh, the vehicle of this person uh, falls within the serial number range, and, uh, and yes, I'm going to go for the recall. But there was a, 
there was a, a requirement that every single oil change must have been done in the dealership, right? From the day they purchased the vehicle until then. Now, it turns out that the, the oil changes were not made at the dealership. Not because this person didn't want to, but for some reason that is beyond the point here, the oil changes were not done there. And so, now comes the time for the recall. The car is not really uh, eligible for the recall. recall. But the dealership comes to this person and says, well, there's something we can do here. Because if you're going to pay out of your pocket, that's going to cost you in excess of $10,000. But we can do something here. We can sign papers and we can issue uh, uh, an invoice with a retroactive date, with retroactive dates. And for all intents and purposes, you'll be good. Now, character... Character like the one of Jesus Christ demands that you say no, right? Which this person did, by the way. But in this world, you know, you think, well, what's $10,000? For me, it's, it's a lot of money. Maybe for the dealership or maybe for the manufacturer, it's not a big deal. It's not about the money. It's about character. It's about being like Christ. It's about being faithful. I was, I was reading, and, and from, from everything I could put my hands on, or, or, or even on the internet, uh, these uh, plastic squeeze bottles, I think they've been around for a number of years now. Apparently, it was at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, that these uh, uh, thermal bottles were invented. And at the time, they were called like vacuum bottles, because oh, there, is a, there is a science behind it. We don't need to go into that. But vacuum bottles, vacuum flasks, and squeeze bottles came later on. Now, it's claimed, I don't know how, how accurate this is, maybe it is, but it's claimed that right after the Second World War in 1946, an American company came up with this, an American inventor came up with a squeeze bottle. It was the first time that a, a squeeze spray bottle, plastic bottle, was invented. And uh, those who have been around for, for longer than others may remember that this was for a deodorant called Stop It. And Stop It was a deodorant that you would just squeeze the bottle and it would, and, and actually the punchline would say you squeeze the bottle and it poof, there it goes perspiration. And so because you'd have before to, you know, take a paste and, and apply on yourself, now you just had to squeeze the bottle. Now when we squeeze the bottle and you put, put pressure on it, Whatever is inside will come out, right? But what will come out is what is inside. Do you agree? Now, you cannot expect to squeeze a bottle of ketchup and get lemon juice out of it. You cannot expect to squeeze a bottle of uh, olive oil and get deodorant out of it. In fact, if you take a bottle that is, is labeled olive oil, and you put deodorant in it, right? For all intents and purposes, people will look at that flask, at that bottle, and say, well, there, there is olive oil. I may not need it now, but I know that if olive oil is needed for anything, I know where the bottle is. And if people never need to use olive oil, they will look at the bottle and they will say, I know where it is. When the time comes, I can just go there and grab it. 
And people may live their entire life looking at the bottle and thinking that there is olive oil inside, when in fact there is the odorant. But if the time comes when olive oil is needed, someone will say, I know where the, the bottle is, I know where the flask is, and I'll go get, grab it, and they go and get it, and it's labeled olive oil, and they put pressure on it, the only thing that is going to come out is the very thing that is inside there. And in this case, it's not, to be going, it's not going to be olive oil at all. It's going to be deodorant to everyone's disappointment. And so someone said, Bill Purvis said, when the pressure is on, what is inside always come out. Always comes out. In a crisis or under stress, we don't have the luxury of keeping up appearances. It is at such times that our actions reveal who we really are for good or for ill. Now there are several different factors that affect character development. And we will not have the time to go into all of that. There are many factors, both external and internal. But what we need to understand is that character is not something that you will shape outside and then you put on. This must be clear to us. That's why you cannot build character overnight. That's not you can go to bed tonight and say tomorrow I'm going to have the character of Job. Tomorrow I'm going to have the character of David, of Daniel, of Joseph. While you can have the character of a character like those men, you can have the character of Jesus Christ, but you have to build this bridge over the course of your personal experience with Christ. And if we ignore this, we do that at our own peril, at our own risk, because Paul outlined that there is a, a, a chain of events that will inevitably happen, and that's what's going to give us experience and help us build a character according to the character of Jesus Christ. Ellen White says in the book, The Desire of Ages, page 307. Listen to this. How profound is this counsel? True character is not shaped from without and then put on. It radiates from within. If we wish to direct others in the path of righteousness, the principles of righteousness must be enshrined in our own hearts. This reminds me, every time I come to the pulpit, right? It may be, oh, it's not easy at all to prepare a sermon, but it could be easier to just say things. But if you want to teach principles of righteousness, then those must be enshrined in your own hearts. That's my prayer. Our profession of faith may proclaim the theory of religion, but it is our practical piety that holds forth the word of truth. The consistent life, listen to this, the consistent life. The consistent life, the holy conversation, the unswerving integrity, the active benevolent spirit, the godly example. These are the mediums through which light is conveyed to the world. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, before you think you have to build this, this bridge on your own, 
Before you think you have to build a bridge over character on your own, I want to say this. There are things that you must do yourself. You must do indeed. You must make decisions that will be conducive to the building of a strong, solid bridge that will take you all the way to the end. But help has been promised. Not only human help, not just any simple help, but divine help has been promised. And I want to bring you back to Romans chapter 5 now. Because the entire Godhead is involved in the process. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all willing to help you build this bridge, develop a character that is just like the character of Jesus Christ. And we read here in verse 1. We read verses 1 to 5. We are going to read just verse 1 and 5 now. The one that opens this, this uh, scripture and the one that closes this passage. And verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this promise comes uh, evidenced in God's love through Jesus Christ who gave his life. It's not only the Father who is involved, but the Son has decided to take part as well and has committed all that he had for our salvation. We have been justified and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint us. Have you been disappointed in life? I have been. I have been disappointed early in life. You know, some people are more outgoing. I am not the most outgoing person. Am I? My friends from Brazil, I think they can attest. I have never been the most outgoing person. And maybe for the type of personality I have, once I get disappointed with someone, maybe I'll, 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 I'll be even more on my corner, you know, uh, uh, fearing to, to open up for other relationships. Well, I've learned throughout life that this is not the best thing. It is best to, to be open and to make friends and to be disappointed at times, that's fine. But that's part of uh, growing as a person and that's part of building a character. But the truth is that we have uh, been disappointed in life. And many people are disappointed because they place their hopes in things which are not eternal. But the Bible is saying that hope does not disappoint. Now what hope is the Bible talking about? It is talking about the blessed hope of the coming of Jesus. It's talking about the hope of eternal salvation and the final reward. So that hope will not disappoint you. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So it's God the Father, it's God the Son... And it's God the Holy Spirit. The holy powers of heaven. The three dignitaries of heaven. They will strengthen you. And they will help you develop a character. That will bring glory and honor to God. My dear friends. As I close here. You know I, I always avoid talking about negative things. From the pulpit. And I'm not going to talk about anything negative now in particular. But I have to admit that uh, 
At times, you know, the church has failed their members. I have to admit that at times leaders have failed the people they, they lead. And sometimes people will look at a negative experience and they will say, Yeah, I told you, you know, this, this thing of Christianity, this thing of church, it's not worthy at all. Well, I said this in the past and I repeat here, look at Jesus, right? Don't look at people. But more than this, the church is you and the church is me. Right? When you all go home today at some point, this, this building will be empty. This building is not the church. It's just a temple. Right? The church is you and me. We are the church. And so God is calling you and me to make a difference. God is calling you and me to be honest and to have integrity where others have failed. God is calling you and me to stand up for the truth where maybe you and I in the past have failed God. And so He's given us another opportunity and He's calling us for a new life and He's calling us for the change. My prayer this morning is that you may decide to be part of the people God is calling in these last days. To have right here on earth a revelation of His character to everyone around us. And I can't resist but make an appeal. But to make an appeal. On May 18th coming. Today is March 16th. So two months. Two months, right? April, May. In two months we'll have a baptism here in this church. On May 18th. We have three people who have decided for baptism. And uh, I know here in this, in this temple right now, there are people who have decided to follow Jesus, have people who have been around Jesus, people who have been around church, but have not made a decision for Christ, have not made a public uh, demonstration of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I'd like to make an appeal to you in particular. If you would consider joining this church, See, it's not about swelling the numbers in the church record. It is nice to see the church filled up today, isn't it? But this is not about numbers, it's about salvation. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. In the words of Jesus. And so I'd like to make an appeal to you. Maybe you think in the, uh, deep in your heart that maybe this is not... The time for you yet. Maybe you think in two months. I don't think I'll be prepared. That's fine. Uh, we'll have other baptisms later on. We can have a baptism anytime. We have the, the tank here. And we have water. Thank God. But I'd like to make an appeal. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Uh, I surrender all. This was not planned. Sorry. But that's how the spirit leads. So we'll sing I Surrender All, which is number 309. And while we sing, I'd like for all of you to stand. And let's sing together. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love. 
Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. So we'll sing verse 2 shortly. And while we sing verse 2, if anyone would like to come to the front, anyone who would consider join this church, join this remnant movement. It's not about, like I said, swelling the numbers in the church records, but joining a movement that is preparing other people to meet with Jesus. If you'd like to join, to make that public statement, even if you think in two months is not your time yet, come to the front because I want to pray for you. And after we sing verse 2, we'll go back to the chorus and I'll ask the entire church to close their eyes and we'll sing with our eyes closed. And maybe if you're shy, you can come to the front at that point when no one will be seen. Verse 2. All to Jesus I surrender humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus take me now close your eyes hi if anyone wants to come Jesus is calling Come, come closer, come closer, and I'll have a prayer for you. Oh, oh, to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Let's sing it one more time, while Jesus calls you still. I surrender. Jesus went all the way to the cross. He was not ashamed of it. I surrender. It is just so little that He is asking of you today. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Oh, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, because you are a God that's so merciful and good. And you have extended to us, Lord, opportunities through which we can not only experience your love and mercy, but also, Lord, grow in our relationship with you. And now, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to work with those who are here in this congregation this morning. Whether they be baptized church members, whether they be visitors, whether they, Lord, have uh, considered joining this movement, but have not had made that decision yet. My appeal, Lord, is that the Holy Spirit will continue to work with them. It is not, Lord, by mighty nor by power, but it is by the Holy Spirit. And we trust, Lord, the Holy Spirit, 
because he has wisdom more than we have. He has wisdom that comes from on high. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in the hearts of these people. That we all, Lord, may be aware of the times we're living. And knowing that Jesus Christ will come. And knowing that tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. That we may secure our decision with Jesus Christ today. We ask you these blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.